0: One of my uh, favorite lines uh from a movie maybe one you don't think of very often uh comes from The Incredibles. If you're not familiar with uh with The Incredibles, uh it's a story about superheroes who have to go into hiding. Uh Mr. Incredible is one such superhero, super strength and uh the whole movie basically revolves around his frustration, this, this hulk of a man is forced to keep his superpowers under wraps. Uh, every time he uses them, he jeopardizes his family. And so, uh, so you can imagine how frustrating it would be, uh, to be bottled up, uh, full of potential, uh, but useless at the same time. And there's a, there's a point in the movie, uh, when he comes home, uh, in his dinky little car uh, from his uh, mundane, pencil-pushing, nine-to-five job at the in- insurance company. Uh, and he and he gets out, and in a, in a fit of explosive frustration, he picks up his car. Oh, wait, no, not that part. He does pick up his car at one point. He's about to throw it. Um, but he gets out of his car at this point in the movie. He gets out of his car, uh, and when he gets out he realizes there's this little boy at the end of his driveway, uh, a boy who had earlier seen him pick up his car, and so he now keeps showing up at his house to watch to see what's going to happen next. Uh, And so this little boy is sitting on his big wheel at the end of the driveway, and Mr. Incredible looks at him and says, what are you waiting for? And this line is classic. He says, I don't know, something amazing, I guess. Can you resonate with that? That's what, uh, that's what Advent is all about. Waiting for something amazing. Maybe you can resonate with Mr. Incredible, whose response to that little boy is, me too, kid. Me too. You know that there's something better. There has to be something more. And that's what Advent is. It's a season of waiting. It's a season of expectation. Constantly looking to the horizon for something. Someone. Amazing. And so, uh, usually during this season, we take a break from our normal series, uh, and we do a little mini-series. In Advent, and typically I do songs, since songs usually play such a large part of the Christmas season, I focus on different songs in Scripture. And this year, uh, we're going to look at the Servant Songs from Isaiah. Uh, maybe not uh, a part of the Bible you're super familiar with, uh, but the Servant Songs are these four passages from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet. Uh, and when you hear that word prophet, I want you to think... Uh, spokesperson or press secretary, right? When, when God has a message for His people, He uses a prophet to communicate that message. Uh, and so He uses Isaiah. Now, Isaiah lived roughly 700 years before Jesus was born. Uh, and in the part of Isaiah that we're looking at, Isaiah is actually talking to people about 200 years in the future, right? So, Isaiah lived 700 years before Jesus was born, uh, but in this part of Isaiah, he's talking to people who lived uh, in roughly the 500s B.C., so 500 years before Jesus was born. And so, before we read from Isaiah 42, I just want to set the tone a little bit for you, tell you what's going on. Uh, Isaiah is is speaking to people in the future, uh God's people Israel are in exile. Wade mentioned that in his in his prayer. Uh they're in exile because their sins have cost them their homeland. God warned them repeatedly over the centuries that if they continued to rebel and reject him that he would allow them to be exiled and so he did. So uh, they are not at home. They are away from their homes. Their king has been captured. Their capital city has been leveled. Their temple, the temple of their God, their holy place has been burned. And to add insult to injury, it's all their fault. They are the reason they are where they are. When they were pressed by trouble, by foreign nations uh, trying to control them, instead of trusting their own God, they made deals with and allies with foreign nations. They trusted foreign gods. They did not trust their own, and so they have been captured and carried off. And so you can imagine the questions that they would be asking. Some of the very questions we find in the Psalms, some of the very questions we find in Isaiah. Uh, Has God forgotten us? Is He still angry with us? Will He forget us? Will He leave us here? What happens next? Is there any hope? And it's to those questions that God speaks uh, in Isaiah. Today we're going to read Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9, if you're using the The Bible there in the chair, it's page 602. God says this through His prophet Isaiah. He says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you, that's you singular, you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nation, This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask for His help in reading, hearing, and understanding it. Let's pray. Father, just as You promised to in this passage, would You open our eyes. Open our eyes to behold wonderful things in Your Word. Draw our hearts to You satisfy us with your steadfast love we pray it in jesus name amen now when you've uh, when you've really disappointed someone uh when you've made a royal mess of things what sort of response do you typically expect When you've injured someone or frustrated someone close to you, uh, what, what sort of, what sort of response do you typically get from them? What sort of things do you have to do to make it right? Maybe, uh, maybe you think of a process, maybe you think of a series of steps, there's usually some kind of way that we fix what is broken, what we've broken, uh, and we would expect that God would work the same way. We would expect that when we have broken, when we have sinned against God, just as the people have here, uh, and that we face the consequences, right? So we've sinned, we're facing the consequences. We would expect that there's some kind of steps right there's a, there's a process for making it right and that's what we would expect to hear from God that God says okay now that you guys are really sorry for what you've done here's how you work your way out of the pit here's how you get yourself back into my good graces but God effectively says here right when we say when we say how do we make it right God effectively says, you don't. Instead of a new set of rules or a process, God sends a person. And that ought to strike us as a little bit odd. To answer their cries of worry, to answer their cries of how long, oh Lord. God doesn't say, all right guys, here's what you got to do he says i'm sending my servant i'm sending a person and it's interesting this servant at least at this point is a pretty shadowy figure it's like as isaiah peers into the future he can only just make out his silhouette in the in the mist we're not 100% sure who exactly this servant is. He's not identified here. We're not told his name. But there are two questions that we can answer about him. Two questions we can answer about him, at least at this point. The first is, what does the servant come to do? What does the servant come to do? And how does he do it? What does the servant come to do, and how does he do it? Uh, and, and at least what we can say, right, kind of the main idea that we're going to look at today, is that in contrast to powerless idols, God puts forward His servant as the hope of the world. That's, that's who the servant is at this point. Uh, in contrast to powerless idols, God presents His servant as the hope of the world. How? Why is God sending this person? So let's look at that first question. What does the servant come to do? Why does God send him? And the first key to answering this question actually comes in the very first verse, the very first word of the first verse, when God says, Behold. He says, Behold my servant. Kevin, why is behold a key to answering this question? Well, to answer that, we would need to look in the previous chapter. So we're going to look at, at uh, Isaiah 41. And what we find there is this kind of courtroom scene where God actually invites the the idols of the nations, the false gods of the other nations, the gods that His own people have put their trust in, and He says, prove yourselves. Are you really gods? Let me Let me see what you got. Can you... Can you predict the future? Did you see any of this coming? Go ahead, speak up. Let me let me hear it. And the result, of course, is that there's silence. There's nothing. Uh, the false gods can't speak for themselves because they're false. They're creations, fabrications of man's imagination. But there are two places uh, where where this is all summarized. Uh, Isaiah 41:24 God says this Behold there's that word that's the word that links this to chapter 42 Behold you are nothing That's not very nice is it Behold you are nothing and your work is less than nothing I don't know how you become less than nothing but it's it's bad right Uh these these idols are nothing And their, and their work, their power, totally useless. An abomination, something disgusting is he who chooses you. Then in verse 29, behold, they are all a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. What a, what a vivid picture. Empty wind. We would say something like, she's all bark, but no bite. He's just full of hot air. That's how, that's how God characterizes idols. We, we could say that, that putting your trust in an idol is kind of like going sailing on the ocean in a boat made out of paper. Uh, It's absolutely ridiculous and futile and pointless. It's delusional. And so twice God says, behold, they are nothing. Behold, they are nothing. And then he says this in response to these useless false God, God presents his servant. He says, behold, my servant. So, in contrast to the false, useless gods of the nations, God puts forward His own servant. He says, behold, my servant, whom I uphold, whom I hold in my strong grip. In verse 6, He says, I, I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. He says, in verse 1, my My chosen one, in whom my soul delights. God's servant isn't simply a tool for his use, but God actually takes pleasure in him. He loves him. He says, I have put my spirit upon him. So again, unlike the useless idols and empty wind of the nations... God's servant has God's wind. That word in Hebrew, wind and spirit, are the same word. So if the idols are empty wind, God's servant has God's wind, God's power, God's spirit rest upon him. He is full of God's power. To do what? To do what? I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Justice. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not exactly what I expected to hear. I expected to read like, He will bring forth joy. He will bring forth peace. But God says He will bring forth justice. I mean, is that is that something we need? Justice? Is that something lacking? Justice? He will bring forth justice to the nations? Now... Uh, depending on which part of the internet you like to scream at, uh, justice is kind of a buzzword right now, it's kind of a a hot button issue, um, and if you doubt whether or not, uh, we live in an unjust world, um, I'd I'd love for you to just just do a quick newsfeed experiment this afternoon, uh. As you as you scroll through your news feed, or maybe if if you're not a social media person, if you as you, I wouldn't usually tell you to turn on network television on a Sunday. It's not good for you. But um, just for this experiment, go ahead and do it. Uh, and I want you to tally up the number of comments or stories that have to do with injustice, with something being not right or not fair or not good. See, tally up the number of, just make two columns, the number of of comments or stories dealing with justice or injustice, and the number of comments or stories not dealing with that. And see which one has more tallies in it. Right? Um, Just last night, Nick Saban is hopping mad at the end of the first half. Why? Because he perceived an injustice from The referees. Clearly, he was upset. Right? Um, Justice. Right? Justice means the establishment of what is right and true and good. The establishment of what is right and true and good. And if we're going to talk about it from a biblical perspective, we mean what is right as God defines it. What is true as God defines it? What is good as God defines it? Justice. That's what true justice is. So I might argue to St. Nick that uh, that may not be the most unjust thing that happened in the world last night. Right? Uh, we live in a broken world full of injustice. The strong take advantage of the weak. World leaders are corrupt in using their power to line their pockets and influence uh, people uh, to make a name for themselves. We live in an unjust world. And so, yes, it is good that someone comes and brings Justice. In other words, God's servant is going to come and he is going to make everything right that we have made wrong. When God says his servant is coming to bring justice, that's what it means. He is coming to set right everything that we have made wrong. He is coming to fix what we have broken. Now, how does that? What's the connection between that and idolatry? What? Why? Why is the servant bringing justice an answer to trusting the the futility of trusting in false gods? Uh, And I think it's this: that when we when we put our trust in false things, that's where the brokenness comes from. Right? When we when we put our trust in those things which are not gods. We get injustice. When we trust what is false, we get falsehood in return. And so God says, Behold my servant whom I delight in. He has my spirit. He will bring justice. He will set right. He says it three times uh, in these opening verses. He will bring forth justice to the nations, the whole world. In the end of verse 3, he will faithfully bring forth justice. Verse 4, he won't grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. He will make right everything that we have broken, everything that we have made wrong. Uh, I want to say, God, just tell me how to fix it. I don't know about you, but I'm a fixer. Not in the physical sense, I'm not particularly handy, uh, but I am a fixer. Tell me how to make it right. And God says, Kevin, you broke it. My servant will fix it. So that's what he's come to do. How will he do it? How will the servant bring God's truth and righteousness to the world? And, and here's what we would expect. Right? We would expect that if someone's gonna come and clean up all this mess, he's gonna have to lay down the law. He is gonna have to crush his enemies under his boots. He's gotta, he's gotta win. And win big. Take no prisoners. Win at all costs. He's gonna have to be a tough guy. But notice how the servant is described, how God describes his servant in verse 2. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. God's servant is no self-promoter. He's not loud. He's not pushy. He doesn't shout his opponents down. He doesn't assert His strength with His mouth. He goes on. Verse 3. A bruised reed He will not break. And a faintly burning wick He will not quench. Capture those images of weakness. You ever seen a, a bent blade of grass? You ever bend a blade of grass, how it gets kind of dark and juicy right where you bent it, and you know that there's no way that that, that's ever going to stand back up? It's too fragile, it's too weak. God says His servant won't even break a bruised reed, that he's gentle. You ever seen a, a candle... Right, it's it's burned all all the way down, it's just it's just barely flickering, and all all it would take is just a, a little a little sigh and it would put it out. God says a servant is so gentle he will not extinguish just a, a flickering candle, the burning the burning wick, the faintly burning wick that's about to burn out. He won't extinguish it. He's, he's gentle. He nurtures the bruised reed. He doesn't crush it. He cradles. Uh, we, we recently celebrated uh, one of my son's birthdays and we did it in the backyard on a windy day. And so you can imagine what we had to do to get the candles on the cake to stay lit. Everybody's kind of positioning themselves, you know, like one person's holding the lighter at a funny angle. Everybody else is like making a wall to try to get the candles just to stay lit long enough that they they can actually be blown out. The servant is so gentle, he won't even extinguish a flickering candle. He is no He is no bull in a china shop. He does not step on other people to get his way. He will bring justice not by crushing others, but by nurturing them. Are you bruised? Is your flame about to go out? Have you exhausted yourself chasing the empty wind of idolatry? Are you weary? Are you wounded through your own sins, the sins of others against you? The passage that that Wade read this morning, Ezra 9. I hope you felt some of that. Where Ezra says he's so ashamed he blushes over his sin. He says our iniquities are higher than our heads. Do you ever feel that way? Have your sin do you feel like you're you you you're drowning in your iniquity that your sins have overtaken you? You're the bruised reed. You need to hear that God's servant is gentle. He is gentle. It says this in verse 6. How will How will this gentle servant bring justice to the world? Bring God's truth and rightness to the world? Look at verse 6, the end of verse 6. He says, I will give you, God now talking to His servant, I will give you as a covenant for the people. Now, a, a covenant... Is is an agreement, a binding agreement between two people. Our most common covenant is a marriage, uh, where two people agree to be bound to one another based on promises they've made. That's a a covenant, a binding relationship. How how in the world can a person be a covenant? That's what that's what God says. I'll make you a covenant for the nations, and what this. Means is that God is sending His gentle servant to restore His relationship, His broken relationship with His people. That's what the servant comes to do. He comes not to crush God's people further, but to restore God's relationship with them. They've broken it, He comes to restore it. And look how, look how this is described. I'll give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring the prisoners out from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. You hear a theme, blind, darkness, trapped, that's talking about us in our sin. Again, how did we get there? Through worshipping the gods of our own imagination. We are spiritually blind. We're trapped in darkness. But the servant comes to give light. He comes to open eyes. To restore sight to the blind. To break open the doors of the prison of darkness. This gentle servant restores justice to the nations by becoming a light giving covenant. So that's what the servant does. That's how the servant will do it. And now that begs the question, where in the world do we find a person like that? Where in the world would we find su- such a person, not a, not a swaggering king who uses his brute force to crush his opponents, but a, a servant king Who comes to liberate people trapped in darkness. Who comes to restore sight to spiritual blindness. To uh, nurture the bruised reed. Where do we find someone in whom God delights? Maybe at the beginning of the Gospels, when Jesus is baptized and the Father's voice comes from heaven and says, Behold, my Son with whom I am well pleased, in whom I delight. How about a gentle servant who brings justice without making a name for himself? Well, let's go to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 14. Just before this, Jesus heals a man, and He does it on the Sabbath. We've seen this when we've looked at Luke's gospel. This doesn't make the Pharisees happy. He shames them, heals the man. And here's what it says in verse 14, Matthew 12:14. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And many followed him and he healed them. And he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. Hold up. That ought to, that ought to make you, that that ought to make you pause. Jesus is doing amazing things and we see him do this repeatedly. Every time Jesus does something amazing and people begin to get an idea of who he is, you know what Jesus says? Tell everybody. Nope. He says don't tell a soul. Keep it quiet. Praise God, but don't, but don't tell a soul. Why? Because they had no idea. Because if, if they announced that Jesus was the Messiah, there was all kind of wrong expectation. And so, so Jesus, Jesus plays it down. He does not lift up his voice. Matthew goes on. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah The servant is Jesus, the one who does not break the bruised reed is Jesus. Now, what do we do with that? Why? Why does that matter on Tuesday afternoon, after a long day at work and you've kicked the dog uh, and you're absolutely miserable? What? How? How does this? How do we go from our head? to our hearts. Well, first, let me ask this question. Is this the way you see God? Do you understand Him to be a a gentle servant? One who won't break the bruised reed. One who won't quench the flickering wick. How do I know? Well, to, to borrow from a... My friend Rusty, when, when you get in trouble, which way do you run? When you, when, when you've really messed up, when your sin is higher than your head, do you run from God or do you run to Him? The suffering servant beckons you to Him. The suffering servant beckons you to Him. Run to him. But also notice this, that the, the servant expects his people uh, to be servants. Jesus would say to his disciples uh, that that they were not to use their authority to lord it over other people, but rather to uh, to step down as he has, to serve others as he has. Are you a bull in a china shop? Or are you the lowest servant who doesn't raise his voice or demand his rights? Isaiah says that in verse 4, Isaiah 42, 4, says, "...he will not grow faint or be discouraged." he will not uh, he will not be quenched or be bruised until he has established justice on the earth that while his people may be bruised and about to quench be quenched the servant will persevere the servant will push all the way through until he has established justice we'll finish with this thought I'll finish with this thought um Isaiah says that the servant is to be made a covenant. And what does Jesus say? Uh, the night uh, the night he is arrested, uh, the night before he is about to be betrayed uh, and uh, crucified and killed, when he's eating his last meal with his disciples, as they're sharing bread and they're sharing wine, he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus is the covenant for God's weary, broken people. Run to Him and be saved. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that You would Raise our sense of longing. That as we, that as we come into this season, it would be so easy to think about all that we are getting. All that we are wanting. And that is, that is the commercialism that we That we live in, that's where we are here between Black Friday and Cyber Monday. What can I get? Oh Lord, would you cause us to see, would you bring out rather the the longings of our hearts? Help us to be a people waiting. Celebrating the first coming of the servant, Jesus, and eagerly anticipating the second. Create a longing in our hearts for you, Lord God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Let's stand and let's worship our servant king with the giving of our gifts.